Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In last week's episode, I told you part one of Don and Antonio Armstrong's case. In that episode, I shared the circumstances of their death, the process of the Houston Police Department searching the Armstrong home, and the arrest of their son, A.J. Armstrong, for their murders. The Houston Police Department found disturbing and puzzling discoveries, like Don and Antonio lying dead in their own beds from gunshot wounds to the head, the murder weapon resting on the kitchen counter with a note attached reading, I've been watching you for some time, a mysterious bullet hole in the ceiling of the second floor, and a bullet in the flooring outside of the crime scene, and no signs of an intruder or a break-in. After AJ's arrest, the court proceedings began in April 2019, in which the defense and prosecution offered compelling evidence and testimony. The defense suggested that the HPD made up their mind within 11 minutes of arriving at the scene, that the note found in the Armstrong kitchen was written by someone else, and that there was no concrete DNA evidence or physical evidence pointing to AJ as the killer. The prosecution argued that although the physical evidence and DNA evidence don't outright point to AJ, that could be because of other factors, and it shouldn't rule him out as the killer completely. They also published 200 pages of text messages shared between Antonio Sr., Don, and AJ, and these messages showed AJ arguing with his parents about his grades and his performance in school. And they played for the jury the 911 call AJ made on July 29, 2016, in which he said, quote, it was all my fault, end quote. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library. Let's look at the case of Don and Antonio Armstrong. So we left off with the 911 call in which AJ says, it's all my fault. I personally don't see this as an admission of guilt. Also, why would he admit to killing his parents while on the phone with the 911 dispatcher? This seems like a stupid decision for someone the prosecution has painted as clever and conniving. However, the choice of words does seem odd. What does AJ mean by it's all my fault? Was he expressing his culpability in their murders, or was he blaming himself for not being able to stop their deaths or help them in some way? I don't know, it's all very mysterious what he meant by that. 
so the defense tries to paint a picture of who else could have killed Don and Antonio Sr. They want to invoke reasonable doubt in the jury, so the defense argues that the couple had an unknown masked enemy. In court, the defense says that after the funeral for Antonio and Don, intruders broke into the gym the couple owned. AJ's attorney cites a video in which masked intruders break in and appear to be looking for something inside the gym. What's interesting is that during the investigation, AJ told police that he saw a masked intruder inside their home the night his parents were murdered. The defense suggests that these aren't coincidences, but patterns that show how Antonio and Don could have been targets by someone other than their son. AJ's aunt, Renee Winston, took the stand to testify about this break-in. Renee Winston, who also worked in Antonio's gym, testified the business was burglarized 12 days after the murders. According to the aunt, the alarm wasn't activated, and the video showed two men in hoodies searching for something specific. The video showed that the burglars settled for a computer before walking out of the gym. AJ's attorney pointed out that AJ was detained in juvenile jail when the burglary happened. Renee Winston said the gym was never burglarized in the past. During the course of the rest of the trial, the defense would bring in experts and those closest to AJ, Don, and Antonio to prove that AJ Armstrong was not a cold-blooded killer. The defense and prosecution both bring in expert testimony about the alarm system in the Armstrong home. The prosecution places an expert on the stand who works for the alarm system company ADT. While on the stand, the expert admits that the alarm system is capable of being compromised by intruders. This expert, when cross-examined by the defense, also admits that he doesn't know if the alarm system was installed properly or if any part of the system was tested after installation, like the motion sensors. The expert also said that the motion detectors might not pick up movement if the person is wearing certain types of clothing because it detects motion based on infrared heat signatures. According to the prosecution, if the killer was wearing a mask or layers of clothing, the motion detector may not pick up the movement because of the trapped heat within the clothing. The defense brought in an expert from Canada to testify. During his testimony, he walked the jury through a video in which he walked through the house to prove that the alarm system was capable of malfunctioning. In the video, the expert set the alarm in the Armstrong home. He walked through the house, opening doors, but the alarm system never registered these doors opening as a bypass, meaning that the alarm system didn't recognize when a door was open even though the expert for ADT said it should have. Also, the defense argued that the evidence the prosecution showed was inaccurate because some of the records from the alarm system were destroyed by the alarm company, records that the police never got a hold of. The defense also pointed to another form of entry that could have been used to gain access into the house to kill Don and Antonio Sr. You see, the outside of the garage door has a keypad, and the Armstrongs gave the passcode to many people. The defense argued that anyone could have entered through the garage door, and that the door to the garage was routinely unlocked. While the prosecution tried to show AJ as a troubled teen who had a rocky relationship with his parents, the defense tried to argue that AJ was anything but a moody teen, and that in the moments before his parents' murders, he was acting totally normal. The defense put Katie Ober, AJ's girlfriend, on the stand. She and AJ had an on-and-off-again relationship for four and a half years before his trial. While on the stand, Katie told the jury that over the years she never saw any problems between AJ and his parents. She even said the relationship between AJ and his parents were really good. 
On the day of the murders, Katie and AJ were corresponding through text messages. While testifying, she remembered that AJ had been his normal quote-unquote happy, goofy self. AJ and his girlfriend had even talked on the phone around 9pm, just a few hours before AJ made the 911 call. However, when the prosecution cross-examined Katie, they confronted her about a text message between AJ and herself, a text message in which she took issue with AJ for lying all the time. Katie was asked whether she knew if AJ had any tension with his parents, and any time that she couldn't recall, the state produced past text messages between Katie and AJ. The prosecution attempted to paint AJ as a habitual liar. They pointed out how in one text message exchange, Katie was upset with AJ because he was selling and smoking too much weed. They also addressed a text message conversation from when AJ was in juvenile holding. Katie was upset again because AJ lied to her about the reason why he was kicked out of school. In that text message exchange, she sent a message that read, quote, I feel like you lied to me all the time, end quote. The prosecution argued that if AJ was capable of lying to his girlfriend about something small, like his removal from school, then isn't it possible that he could have lied about murdering his parents? Kara Armstrong, AJ's younger sister, was called to the stand to testify, and what she had to say was incredibly interesting. On day 11 of the trial, the defense brought Kara to the stand as a character witness. During the questioning, the defense has Kara questions about her brother, not AJ, but Joshua, Don's son from a previous relationship, and the eldest sibling. Kara was asked to describe Josh and his interactions with Antonio Sr., who isn't Joshua's biological father. This is what Kara had to say about Joshua. Quote, He was there, but he wasn't there. He was distant. He acted like he was the black sheep of the family. He acted like our parents loved us more because we were biologically related to both of them. End quote. She also added that Antonio Sr. and Joshua had a conflict. Kara also mentioned Josh had been doing drugs to the point that he, quote, stopped caring about things like his appearance or getting haircuts, end quote. When asked about AJ's relationship with his parents, Kara painted a picture that was very different from Joshua's relationship with Don and Antonio. She said, AJ's relationship with his parents was normal, despite the typical child-parent issues. She also confirmed that AJ was having trouble with grades at his private school in the months leading to the murders. However, she recalled AJ being excited about starting his new school. Finally, Kara was asked to provide information and her own knowledge about the family's alarm system. In her testimony, she revealed that her home welcomed many people from time to time, and people would often use the garage door to enter and exit the home. Kara stated, everyone and anyone her parents knew would come by and that there were problems with the alarm system at the house. She stated, quote, sometimes the alarm system was set when a door is still open or sometimes it would go off unexpectedly. It was really finicky, end quote. Kara was also questioned about the day of the murders. Kara told the jurors about how AJ picked her up from their grandmother's house after staying there for several days, and she recalled that AJ was upbeat. When they returned home, Kara spent time with her mom before heading to bed, and the next moment she could remember was being woken up by AJ saying that they needed to leave the house because her parents were shot. On the stand, Kara was tearful as she recalled being half asleep and not really processing what was going on despite the police being there. She also testified that she saw her older brother, Josh, arrive at the house 
and she described him as smelling of weed and acting like he was high. She also added that AJ looked a little concerned. It's unclear if she meant that AJ was concerned about Josh or about the whole situation. But Kara makes another statement on the stand that reveals more information about Joshua Armstrong, information that may impact the jury's decision. According to ABC 13 reporting for Houston, Kara testified that Josh had become violent and used more drugs in the months following the killings. She said he was hearing quote-unquote demonic voices and had mixed personalities. The defense wanted to prove reasonable doubt, so they focused on identifying other possible murder suspects other than AJ. So they turned their attention to his brother, Joshua Armstrong. The defense brought in Joshua Armstrong's ex-girlfriend, Hannah Pilon, to testify. In the testimony, Hannah said she and Joshua had still been dating on the day Josh's parents were murdered. As I told you in part one, Josh lived near Don and Antonio in an apartment complex. The night of the shooting, Hannah testified that she, Josh, and Josh's cousin were all in the apartment on that night before his parents were killed. She said she went to bed around 10 p.m. and left Josh and his cousins who were playing video games. Then she said she couldn't remember exactly the time she woke up, but when she woke up, she saw Josh saying that his parents had been shot. Josh then walked into his bedroom to grab a shotgun and left the apartment. According to AJ's defense team, Josh Armstrong had been in and out of a psychiatric facility since his parents' killings. They questioned his mental well-being and suggested that someone with his issues could be a viable suspect for murder. The defense claimed that Joshua had battled suicidal and homicidal thoughts, and he had been catatonic. According to family members who had lived with Josh, he claimed to have a woman in his head he was trying to kill. The defense argued that HPD didn't adequately question Josh, and instead were hyper-focused on pinning the murders on AJ. They say Josh showed up to the scene after the murder happened, and the police only interviewed him for three to four minutes. The defense also tried to point to what they considered suspicious behavior after his parents were murdered. According to the defense, the first suspicious act was when Josh was asked by HPD officers where he was before the murders. He refused to answer the question. And the second suspicious act, or I guess inaction, is that Josh didn't go visit his dad, Antonio Sr., when he was in the hospital fighting for his life. I personally don't consider Josh's refusal to answer questions from the police as odd, especially because it's not unreasonable or uncommon for black people to not trust the police. Even if you know you are innocent, it's still wise not to participate in an interview with police without an attorney present. But I can see how some may think it's odd that Josh wouldn't visit Antonio Sr. in the hospital. Even if Antonio Sr. and he didn't have a close relationship, it's peculiar that he wouldn't want to at least be there to support his siblings through the death of their father. But again, a lot of human behavior is subjective, and if I was on the jury, this wouldn't be enough reasonable doubt for me, at least not yet. The defense suggested that maybe Josh murdered his parents. They proposed that because Josh lived only two minutes away from his parents' home, he could run from his own home to his parents' home in under a minute and murder them while they slept. But Harris County Institute of Forensic Science tested all of the Armstrong siblings, including Josh, for gunshot residue, and all of them tested negative. With expert testimonies from both sides, testimonies from AJ's family, and published evidence, the jury convened to determine the fate of AJ Armstrong. Did this 16-year-old boy kill his parents, or did the Houston Police Department get it all wrong? After deliberations, eight jurors believed AJ was guilty, but four jurors voted not guilty. As a result, 
The trial was deemed a mistrial, and AJ was heading home. In court, AJ was emotional. He cried surrounded by his support system. But his mistrial did not mean he was free. He was released on bond, and he had to wear an ankle monitor. He was only allowed to leave his home to go to church. AJ Armstrong and his close family and friends have maintained that he is innocent. In an interview with ABC 13 for Houston, AJ makes tearful remarks about his family and insists that he was not responsible for his parents' murders. Around July 2018, AJ's defense attorney filed motions that his case be dismissed because of several violations by the district attorney's office. According to ABC 13 reporting, the defense claims the DA's office failed to turn over audio recordings and 50,000 pages of phone records alleging Antonio Sr. was involved in a prostitution ring and received death threats before the murders. Allegedly, Antonio Sr. changed his life insurance policy as a result of these death threats. According to court documents, a woman named Maxine Adams approached Houston police with this information in December 2017, five months after Don and Antonio were killed. The motion reads, quote, The defense was told during the pending juvenile case against Mr. Armstrong around March of 2017 that his allegation of prostitution was investigated and that it was not credible, thus indicating that their investigation was complete, end quote. The defense argued that this was a violation of their client's right to a fair trial under the 14th Amendment. According to the landmark Supreme Court case decision, Brady v. Maryland, Officials are required to turn over to criminal suspects any information in their possession that might be favorable to the defense. Maxine Adams made some bold claims about this alleged prostitution ring and Antonio Sr.'s involvement in it. According to the Houston Chronicle, Adams believed there could be a connection between what she told police and what actually went down at the Armstrong residence the day of the murders. According to Maxine Adams, her then-husband, Cecil Adams, who was a friend of Antonio Sr., were allegedly both involved in a prostitution ring. Apparently, at the time, Maxine Adams said she hired a PI to snoop on her husband because she had her suspicions. However, she couldn't remember the name of the PI she hired, and she could only point to vague indications of the alleged prostitution ring. Also, she could not remember who told her about the supposed death threats made to Antonio Sr., or about him changing his life insurance policy shortly before he was killed. All she could really point to were phone records, so it's unclear if any of this information is actually credible. The retrial for AJ was originally set to begin on January 6, 2020, but it was pushed back to March 27, 2020 because of some pretrial hearing hiccups. AJ's defense argued in a pretrial hearing that the text messages originally included in the first trial should not be allowed into evidence this time around. His team argued that because prosecutors lost AJ's iPhone at the end of his first trial, all records extracted from the phone should now be suppressed. AJ's defense attorney, Rick DeToto, argued that, quote, The prosecution has known for six or seven months that 22 pieces of evidence went missing in a case, thrown out, gone, and they didn't bother to tell us until the Friday before trial, end quote. According to legal expert Steve Shellist, this is a big deal because the judge could dismiss other evidence tied to what's in the bag, and the jury could learn that a bag with 22 pieces of evidence is missing. This can largely shape the direction in which the trial goes. This wasn't the only issue to pop up during the pretrial hearing. AJ's defense team wasn't able to submit Joshua Armstrong's medical records as evidence in the first trial. However, this time around, they want to admit handwritten documents that label Joshua as schizophrenic, suicidal, and depressive, 
This is an excerpt of the defense attorney's motion filing. Quote, Finally, the trial court excluded additional evidence with respect to the nexus of Joshua Armstrong. Specifically, the trial court sustained the state's objection to the defendant's motion to admit psychiatric records of Joshua. These records, previously marked in the first trial as Defense Exhibit 11, reflect that Joshua showed homicidal ideations, suicidal thoughts, paranoia, along with suffering from auditory hallucinations. The trial court also excluded two videos of Joshua that corroborate the psychiatric records, which provide further proof that Joshua was suffering from auditory hallucinations and paranoia. Joshua was observed on one of the videos blaming the devil for killing his parents and stated that the devil was inside of him. One need not speculate or take any far logical jumps to determine the relevance and significance of such evidence. End quote. Also, the defense team wanted it to be known that in a summary of Joshua's voluntary admission of paranoia, he states that he doesn't believe AJ is guilty. However, in the wake of his parents' deaths, he has suffered a mental breakdown and has accused everyone in his family of killing his parents, and is, quote, constantly interpreting their statements as a coded message that's a threat to kill him, end quote. Personally, I can see why the defense would use this tactic as a way to invoke reasonable doubt onto a jury. And it is alarming that Joshua had homicidal thoughts and was hearing voices. However, it is also completely reasonable and understandable how his parents' deaths caused him further mental anguish and despair. And I'm not entirely convinced that being mentally ill makes him a killer. It's really easy to just blame it on the quote-unquote crazy person. But in 2020, Joshua makes an admission to a psychiatric evaluator that may point to who the actual killer is. According to court documents, Joshua admitted to psychiatric evaluators that he witnessed the murder of his parents nearly four years ago. In a motion that was filed in March 2020, the defense argued that Joshua Armstrong's statements proved that someone else was in the home when the murders happened. In these documents, written by the defense attorneys, quote, Joshua Armstrong admitted to witnessing the murder of his parents. Thus, he places himself inside of the Armstrong residence at the time of their murders, end quote. This is interesting because Josh's girlfriend claimed that Josh was at home when he found out about the murders. But Josh is now saying that he was a witness to the murders? Which one is it? And why won't he say who killed his parents if he really witnessed it? AJ's defense team said the new evidence, quote, wholly completely undermines the state's theory of the case that they presented in the first trial. They said that no one could have gotten in the house based on the alarm system. Now that fails. They said that AJ was the only person that could have possibly done this. Now that fails, end quote. But the Harris County District Attorney's Office issued a statement via their spokesperson, John Donnelly, saying, quote, Antonio Armstrong Jr. shot his parents to death in their sleep. This case should be presented to the jury in the courtroom, and we look forward to doing so. That is where the case belongs. We continue seeking justice for his victims, Don and Antonio Armstrong Sr., end quote. And I think that's what's so important about this story. Don and Antonio Sr. were murdered in their sleep by someone. But from all the articles I have read about this case, much of them are largely focused on the drama of the trial of A.J. Armstrong, and much of it feels like a spectacle, because the suspect is a black boy, now a black man. Something about these articles and these reports feel investigative, not of who killed Don and Antonio, but of why or how A.J. killed his parents, as if he's already been convicted. My major issue with the prosecution's arguments is that they use text messages between AJ and his parents as if that proves much of anything. Just like any other teenage boy, AJ was at odds with his parents in acting out. How is this concrete proof that he murdered them? 
His behavior through texts don't seem any different than a typical defiant teen. But I also find issues with some of the defense's arguments in trial. For one, it's too easy to blame a mentally ill person for murder. To me, that's not enough proof. And I can imagine how the insinuation that you killed your own parents because you're mentally ill can make your mental illness worse. Another issue that I find with the defense's argument is that isn't it possible that the alarm system was working that night and that explains why there was no forced entry? And what about the bullet hole coming from the third floor, where AJ's bedroom was, to the second floor? Maybe AJ practiced shooting his dad's gun? When there's one piece of evidence pointing to who might have done it, there's another piece of evidence pointing in the opposite direction. How do you explain the house not being broken into and the alarm system not sounding off but claiming there was an intruder? But then, what about the physical evidence pointing to neither AJ or his siblings? This case has some compelling evidence and some interesting testimony, and I still don't know where I stand with the case. Because of the pandemic, AJ's trial had to be postponed, but that hasn't stopped AJ from living his life. A few months ago, AJ and his girlfriend, Katie Ober, had a baby boy. AJ's second trial has now been scheduled for April, and it's among the thousands of cases pending in the court system. AJ's defense attorney says, quote, I think it's going to be three, four, maybe five years until it's caught up. It's frustrating for victims. It's frustrating for clients. It's frustrating for us." End quote. My hope is that the person who murdered Don and Antonio Sr. is brought to justice, no matter who it is, and that Don and Antonio Sr.'s family get the answers they've been deprived of for years. Starting in May, the Lost Crimes Library podcast will be releasing new episodes on the first and third Wednesday of every month. If you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Lost Crimes Library, you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Remember, sharing is caring, so make sure to share this podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes. This episode was written and hosted by Nisa Henderson. It was produced by Channing Tab and Nisa Henderson. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.